Lewis Byard, the author of such classics as Mr. Timothy, The Pale Blue Eye, The School of Night, has now written Courting Mr. Lincoln, which he which we talked about on the podcast, and his new book called Jackie and Me. Lou, is it fair to say that you've gone from writing mysteries about lost manuscript and murders most foul and begun writing mysteries of the heart. There we go. I, that is actually great jacket copy. I'm gonna have to steal that from you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, and now in its 16th year, number 809, Jackie and Me. I love Lewis Byard's writing, and his latest novel, Jackie and Me, is no exception. Jackie and Me tells the story of the courtship of Congressman John F. Kennedy and Jackie Bouvier from the point of view of Kennedy's oldest friend, a closeted gay man named Lem Billings. It's a charming and moving imagining of how these events played out that takes us inside the heads and hearts of these real people. And Lou began our conversation by explaining how he transitioned from writing traditional mysteries to courtship novels. I had this in, little interregnum in my career um, after, I guess after School of Night, I put out a YA novel and I, I suddenly didn't have a publisher and I was I was getting a new agent and I thought, you know, I don't necessarily have to do this thing anymore. Is there some book I've been wanting to write? And so According to Mr. Lincoln was just the book I wrote on spec, which meant there was no one waiting for it. There was no contract in advance. And, um, and it's a courtship novel. It's a sort of a Jane, as we talked about before, it's a Jane Austen style kind of courtship novel. And I enjoyed that so much. I thought, let's do this again. Let's find another president, right? That's fine. Um, so, um, so yeah, Jackie and Jackie and me came out of that. I'm very, this is, first of all, this is the first book title I've had with the word and in the title, which I think is interesting. And is that, and, but, is that, uh, is, is there a significant difference in your mind between and and ampersand because it's an ampersand yeah i know that's what that's a really good question yes it is an ampersand um and they were quite clear in that the publisher they wanted it to be an ampersand i'm not i'm not sure why but in the, in um, the writer's guild that means they're a team doesn't it <laughs> i have no is that how, how it works? i think that's what it is if like there's two teams of writers who have written it's name ampersand name and a and d name ampersand name i had no idea those writers guild Requirements are very arcane and apparently. Yeah. Um, so yes, so first, first, um, first ampersand, first and, and uh, uh, which I guess is a sign that this was there were two kind of spirits inhabiting the book, and one of them was Jackie, uh, who's, who needs little introduction. Only that this is the Jackie before she becomes that Jackie. This is Jackie Bouvier when she's still a young um, career woman just out of college, um, actually trying to build some kind of career for herself, but torn as so many young women are of that era between the career and matrimony. Um, and then the me part is not Jack Kennedy, even though he plays a big part, but the me is, uh, Lem Billings, who was Jack Kennedy's best friend from high school through life. 
and uh, had a very privileged catbird seat on this courtship as it was happening. So I thought Len would be a really good um, seeing eye on this whole experience. Well, and it's fascinating. I mean, one of the pleasures of the book for me uh, was uh, every so often Googling a person or a location or a situation just to go, well, now how far has Luke gone off the <laughs> historical record? Is this a thing that happened? Wait, what? Go back. You know, so, and and that kind of, I mean, I'm a sucker for that kind of historical alternative fiction mm -hmm. speculation. So that's that that was really fascinating to me because this is so relatively recent history. Was it more difficult, more challenging writing about this presidential relationship than Abraham Lincoln's relationship with Mary Todd and Joshua Speed? You know, it's funny, that's, to your point, I assumed going into this that because it did happen within living memory, all these events, that there would be a consensus among historians about how it had all gone down, and yet there, there isn't any. I, I found that fascinating, that nobody can agree even on when Jack and Jackie first met, um, how they met, who introduced them. There's a generally accepted view, accepted view that's in the book about they met at a dinner party in Georgetown. But when that happened and what happened after that, all the, the chronology of it, the basic chronology of it is still weirdly up in the air. So it feels in some ways like you're, you're, you're dipping back into the ancient past. That said, this is the first book I've written that has people in it who are still alive. And that's, that's a slightly weird feeling, knowing that you know, Bobby Kennedy Jr. is mentioned in it, for instance, uh, is a is a minor character, but um, they're all still alive. I don't necessarily know that they'll read the book. They probably won't. But it's weird to think that you're sending out a fictional representation of somebody still in the world. One of the things I love, and it came, it, it comes up early, is you, you. I mean, you. It, it. The book is described as alternative history or alternative fiction, but you made that actual theme. You made the genre. An actual theme of the book that there's an all there there are alternate realities in which Jackie mm -hmm. and Jack don't get married or right. Lem does get married to somebody else. Um, right. I loved that multiversal theme, which is which everybody thinks. Oh my God, MCU invented the multiverse. No, no, no. Robert Frost, <laughs> the road not taken, road less traveled by. He invented the multiverse. That was a good insight. Yes, Robert Frost is the is the maker. Well, that that was even. The, the book is being written, uh, narrated by Lem Billings in 1981. And even by then, um, the multiverse concept had sort of taken hold in the world. And I'm fascinated by the idea of these, these alternate realities, because I think we all can look back at our lives and see that these moments, these pregnant moments where if one choice had been different, your whole path would have been different. I think about all these, you know, all these fraught moments, contingent moments, where um, a, a single difference, you're looking another way, right? Yeah. Uh, you're looking this way rather than that can make all the difference in, in the rest of your life. So I think we all have those moments. And so there is this sense of alternate reality is pulsing alongside the one we're in now. And in part, it, it's, I mean, it's interesting to read it because I, uh, you know, you find out quite quickly that Lem is me in the title, Jackie and me, not Jack. And you go, oh, this is, this is a this is a story about Jack and Jackie as told by Lem, except it's really a story about Jackie and Lem. Um, mm. and and a, and part of my very, very extremely superficial googling um led me to some quotes that people said that Jackie hated Lem, like always was jealous of the time he took away from Jack. That is not at all the impression I get from the 
book are you have i not googled enough or are you <laughs> taking some liberties with perceptions the one of the things that inspired me there's a photograph of the three of them jack and jackie and lem and jackie's in the middle and it was taken probably in washington around the time of this book and they're sitting together looking very friendly and lem has his arms sort of curled around jackie and is sort of mock comically drawing her away from jack as, as though jack has said something perhaps offensive or stupid or something so he's He's got his arm curled around Jackie, and he's sort of drawing her, drawing her back uh, toward him. And it was such an interesting protective gesture. And then I found out that Jack, that I'm sorry, that Lem had been tasked with giving Jackie the lowdown about what marriage was going to be like with Jack Kennedy, because Jack Kennedy was uh, a, a, a famous bachelor, you know, who'd gotten around and was not about to stop, you know, playing the field just because he was married to somebody. So Lem was the one who was tasked with telling Jackie. And I thought, well, that suggests a certain degree of, of intimacy. In the book, of course, he doesn't tell her, uh, and that creates some, some different issues. And that's, again, the speculative path. But um, I thought he certainly talked about her very fondly. One other thing I come back to is that she went to his funeral. So I thought that spoke to some, some degree of intimacy. She certainly uh, saw him a lot, as you pointed out. He was, he was there when they were out in the, when they go out in the country, and he'd come out on weekends and play backgammon with Jack, and was at the White House all the time. He had his own room in the White House. Wow. So she definitely saw him. And I, I think if she'd really objected to him, she might have found some way to freeze him out. But uh, she understood that they had a unique relationship, Lem and Jack. They were just buds. Lem was not an advisor. He wasn't a politico. He was just there to, to play backgammon and shoot the shit. And, you know, and Jack, he, was, he was pure relaxation for Jack. So You've written two two novels about roma pre presidential romantic triangles with a gay man at one corner of the triangle. Is this a theme? <laughs> it could be. I mean, I'm fascinated by the idea of of closeted um, love and and the, the love that dare not speak its name. That was true of Lem too. I've I've I used to meet gay men of that generation. They never referred to themselves as gay. Mm. Um, they they spoke in code. They were not. They weren't marching in pride parades. They they were a. But that's because they were the generation that came up through the '50s. When, as it happens in the book, you could be arrested in in a park for coming on to a guy. We sent to jail. Your career could be ruined. There was so much retribution attached to being homosexual that they became these underground people. And it was very hard to coax them back above ground, even when the world had changed. So Lim is one of those people who uses phrases like friends and Dorothy and, and really doesn't even want to think of himself as a homosexual, which of course he is. Hi, I'm Susie Nakamura, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Let's hear it for homos today. We're enlightened and now, so it's okay. We Where can you RSE the RSE? We'll be visiting four cities this fall of 2022, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Rolla, Missouri on September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois on September 23rd, Jasper, Indiana on September 25th, and the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, reducedshakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. And now back to my conversation with Lewis Byard, whose delightful new novel, Jackie and Me, comes out next week, but is available for pre-order now. 
I was asking Lou whether the banter he wrote between young Jack Kennedy and Jackie Bouvier was actually this charming in real life. His banter with Jackie is so friggin' charming. There's no way it was that charming in real life, was it? That's all you. Am I right? Uh, well, it's, it's definitely not taken. It's, it's it's invented. So, but the thing is, Jack was a a, a charmer. I mean, he was that every everybody who came in contact with him said 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 as much. He was very witty, very very well educated, extremely well read, highly literate. Um, and he's you know there are a lot of quote there are a lot of Jack Kennedy quotes that still live on in our culture. I'm always being a resident of Washington, D.C., I love how he called it a, a city of northern charm and southern efficiency. I think that that's a beautiful description of D.C. So he was clearly, he was a very witty guy and, of course, handsome. And so I think that would have had an effect on, you know, men and women alike. He certainly had a way of bringing people into his orbit. And Jackie was just one of those people. But she was, evidence suggests she was head over heels in love with him. And, um, you know, he was Jack. So he wasn't going to ever give his heart completely to to any woman. Well, and not only Jack and Jackie, the banter, uh, but the dial the banter between uh, Lem and Jackie is terrific and charming as well. In fact, all of your dialogue is charming. This is a leading question because I know the answer, but have you ever considered writing a play? Well, it's funny you should bring that up, Austin. Um, I just finished writing, it was my first play. It was a quarantine project. Um, and it's gonna be produced at the DC Fringe Festival in uh, July. And it's inspired by a real life experience. Um, uh, a colleague of mine, his name is H.G. Carrillo. And his whole history was that he was an Afro-Cuban refugee who immigrated to America when he was eight and learned to speak English by watching I Love Lucy reruns and was a, apparently a notable concert pianist as a teenager. And he had this whole kind of fascinating history which he leaned into in every way. His emails were all full of Spanish. His book, his one book had was full of Spanish. Um, and then after his death, he died sort of uh, prematurely of combination of cancer and COVID. And what happened was this, his obituary um, was had to be immediately corrected because his actual family called up and said, no, everything he told you was a lie. So it turned out he was just this guy from Detroit. Uh, he wasn't Cuban born. He didn't, you know, he wasn't a native Spanish speaker. He wasn't a concert pianist. His whole, um, this whole life had been a, a construct. Wow. Very deliberately. Yeah, very deliberately created. And what, but to me, fascinated me too is his husband had no idea either. Uh, he had just been told that that Ajay was estranged from from his family. So, and only learned about that after after he was dead. So that was this the seed for this this play, which is about kind of identity in in, in modern times. But what I'm fascinated by in the, in cases like this is, and there there was another case of a, a GW instructor passing herself as Latino. She was this. Jewish girl from Kansas. And so we're seeing passing happening in the other direction than it used to go back in the 19th century, 20th century. People of color would pass as white because that was the only way to access the majority world. And now you're seeing this interesting phenomenon of, of the majority race passing as, as a minority. Um, and I'm sure there are people who have, have tried to figure out what's going on there, but I'm fascinated by it. Well, that's interesting, and it's occurring to me that this could be an actually separate podcast because we're recording on June first, the, the beginning of Pride Month. Oh, that's right! Happy Happy Pride Day. Happy Pride Month! Uh, uh, back yeah. at you. I think being a queer writer is 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 one of my advantages, honestly. Um, and I, I I know you played female characters and I'm on stage, and I write a lot of female characters, and I feel very at home writing about women um, because I do feel like I can access that sensibility 
um, more easily in some ways by being by being LGBTQ or whatever I am. I still stumble over those letters because I'm a gay man of a certain generation. But yeah, I think I think it's such a gift to be able to kind of climb into different genders. In my class, I teach at George Washington University. I I'm always encouraging them to cross gender. Tell tell a story from from the opposite gender. See what it's like. Was your publisher really excited? about the prospect of this book? Because it seems like Jack and Jackie, stories about Jack and Jackie Kennedy are still highly commercial. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, they don't, particularly Jackie, I think. She she exerts a, a hold on people. I will say my editor was a former editor at People Magazine and a Kenny, Kennedyologist from way back. Mm. So she knew pretty much all the characters in this book, except for Lynn Billings, which is interesting. Um, and so she, and so I think, and I do think there's a whole generation of women who grew up with Jackie and were just obsessed with her as a style icon, as a, as a figure, um, and, and still, still want to read about her and, and, and try to understand her better, which I'm fascinated by. I was born eight days after Kennedy's assassination. So I never grew up fetishizing the Kennedys or, or thinking about them one way or another. They were just this historical fact. But there are people, of course, who, who have the strongest feelings about them, pro or con, and um, and never kind of have a, enough avenues for discharging those opinions. There is this prospect in the book that that Lem, on a different day, making a different choice, could have proposed to Jackie himself. Sure. As he proposed, apparently, to Jack's sister, Kick Kennedy, who was very, very popular, probably the most popular of the Kennedy children. Uh, he definitely had the the emotional capacity to to bond with with women, whether whether he could have made it happen sexually, but certainly a lot of gay men did. A lot of gay men faked their way uh, right. through a lot of right. marriages in those days. Right. Um, so that's that's one. So it's interesting to me in some ways that Lem didn't do that, and I, I honestly believe it's because his heart belonged to Jack in the in the end. He just uh, Jack was the the man he probably loved a little too much, um, but that was that was. And then of course after Jack's death, Lem became sort of the surrogate father to the next generation of Kennedy kids, particularly Bobby Kennedy, uh, and tried to kind of groom them to become the, the next leaders. And he, so he was very much in, in the, the, the court of the Kennedy world. You might say the court jester in some ways, but also the historian. He was always you know, telling them about what Jack had gotten into in the, in the early days. And so the thing to remember, of course, is that Jack was not the Kennedy kid who was supposed to succeed. That was supposed to be Joe Jr., his oldest, right. his older brother, who right. died in the war. Jack was Jack was not considered the next anything. He was an indifferent student, uh, and he, of course, he was constantly ill from Addison's disease and and uh, back issues. So uh, it wasn't even clear he was going to survive into adulthood, let alone become the the glittering political figure that he did. So it was well. Lot. That's in yeah. That's that's fascinating aspect of the. I mean, Jack was sick enough to make me go. Would he have lived much longer anyway? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a really yeah. That's a really good question. I mean, the 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 treatments for Addison's disease were improving, but um, yeah, he was still in the hospitals a lot, and I think that the back pain was was pretty crippling. Although I think it was improving toward the end. So yeah, uh, I think if you told him he would live until sixty three, he was like, okay, I'll take that. You know, that's yeah. that's longer than I would have guessed. And of course, he nearly died in the war in the famous you know, PT boat incident. So um, he, had, he had a lot of brushes with death. But one of the things Jack Lem says in the book is that, you know, once you've seen a friend this close to death, even last rites become a little blasé. You know, after a while, it's like, all right, here we go again. Well, um, I have had them, haven't I? Do I have to do this again? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Jackie and Me is available everywhere and is a delight from start to finish. For more information, you can go to lewisbyard.com or follow Lou on Twitter at lewisbyard. Then send us your alternate universe destiny via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or visit our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareance.com. Thanks, as always, to World War II war hero Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band, and this week also by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, whose song The Waltz of the Flowers from The Nutcracker served as the melody to the song that we refer to affectionately as The Waltz of the Pansies from the Complete Millennium Musical Abridged, and which I include at Lou's request to celebrate both our conversation and the beginning of Pride Month 2022, and which you can hear in its entirety at the end of this episode. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Jack Keeley. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Susie Nakamura, currently starring on Broadway in the hysterical laugh-out-loud farce POTUS, or Behind Every Great Dumbass Are Seven Women Trying to Keep Him Alive, which Dee and I just saw earlier this week and leapt to our feet at the end of and finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tishner, 809 2427ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I don't know if you feel this way about your plays, but for me, a, a book is kind of like a, a kid who, is, who graduates from college and then goes out into the world, and you, you sort of fling it out into the world and hope that somebody you know, makes a home for it somewhere and lets them move in, move in and, you know, live, live in the side a little bit. Well, I do, I do feel that way. I mean, the difference, like, as you know, I've written two plays over the uh, pandemic, but until they get produced and staged with actors on stage saying the lines, did I write two plays? (laughs) They're sort of Schrodinger's plays. (laughs) Ooh, there we go. I was going for the, the tree that fell in the forest and nobody knew. Let's hear it for homos today. We're enlightened now, so it's okay. We should get over it. We really should admit all the great people were not all straight people, in fact, we're gay. Let's hear it for homos today. They have sex in unusual ways. We all like to pretend they are a very recent trend. But we'll give you the just and historical list of masters who are fake. Big shakers and big movers, like J. Edgar Hoover, President James Buchanan, often had a male companion. The genius William Shakespeare was sometimes a big queer. Alexander found the abacus. He wasn't great, he was fabulous. Francis Bacon was quite taken with the boys, or I'm mistaken. And Da Vinci found men ginchy, but that's something that we all knew. Don't get jealous, but they tell us Robin's men were merry fellas. And Tchaikovsky would get off-ski with a favorite man or 
or four or more, a butch, a femme, a big swish. Let's carry on with more dish. Let's hear it for homos today. We don't think they're going away. There is always 10% of people who are bent. It's very ordinary, nary, and it's very temporary. Watch us stray. Lawrence of Arabia never saw a labia. I know many schmuck jocks who really like to dance socks. Let's hear it for homos today. And the ladies who love Lucy Pay. Joan of Arc. Of course. Amelia Earhart. Of course. Catherine the Great. Who loved more than her horse? Emma Goldman wouldn't hold men. Emily Dickinson got no Dickens in. Eleanor Roosevelt fell fine to Miss Gutenstein. Let's hear it for homos today. Do you think that you two might be gay? Hey, here's a way to truly test you all. To see if you are homosexual. Are you beautifully groomed? Do you wear strong perfume? Go to the gym, keep it in trim. Are you neat and sweet and a pink? Are your pants really tight? Are you always polite? If you work in the arts and won't publicly far, tell your wife and your children you're gay. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. 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 And so much less.